0: We've had a lot of things going on today, haven't we? Talked about uh, Dave Smith being with the Lord. For those of you that came in late and didn't hear, Dave, one of our members for about 10 or 12 years, uh, went to be with the Lord yesterday, passed away in the morning. And um, um, as Mark said a couple weeks ago, he had had a heart attack, rushed to the emergency room, and they put a splint in, and he was doing fairly well. In fact, last Sunday... um, Dave and Kathy and I, right here during church, prayed together, and uh, he had tears, and he had tears of joy because of, um, the Lord had spared him, and then he asked for me to pray because he was nervous about the future. It had frightened him, and so we did, and, and yesterday went to be the Lord. That's, how many of you have lost someone close to you? Let me see your hands. You all know I've lost my first wife, so it's, um, it's not unfamiliar to us, is it? And yet today, this, we're talking about the gospel, the very hope of what Dave represents. Then we had the Haiti team down here to pray, to go out and tell others about the Lord and to serve, things that we've been talking about. We had our children here representing our future, Jonathan representing one of our missionaries. Um, it's a good day, lots of things. If I could have orchestrated today, I wouldn't have thought to put all of these pieces into our experience And yet, that's what happened. And um, I'll be the first today, the first to say that I absolutely hate saying goodbye to friends. Dave is a new friend, but he's still a friend. I just hate saying goodbye. I hated saying goodbye to my first wife. And yet, she represents and Dave represents the very hope with which we have committed ourselves. Don't they? Uh, If we don't have hope... If Jesus is not raised from the dead, Paul said, we of all people are most to be pitied. If we have hope, we have not, If we don't have hope, we don't have anything. It's the very heart and core, the core message of our, the gospel. God has not forgotten us. He's come back for us. You know, we're in the middle of a story. By the way, Dave now knows the story fully, and we're still investigating it. But we're talking about, The story that we find ourselves in. And what is this grand story from Genesis to Revelation, from creation to new creation? There is a steady flow of information about what God is doing and his love for us. So we began by talking about the fact that we are worshipers of the one true living God. That distinguishes us from the rest of the world. We're not trying to be exclusive. It's just the opposite. We want the entire world to come to know this one true living God who has fully expressed himself in his son, Jesus. We are caretakers of creation. We talked about that. Uh, How many of you went up on the mountain in this week, this past week? Let me see. Only three? Wow, in the first service, almost everybody went. Oh, no, I see a few more hands kind of going like that. It's okay. Don't be ashamed. This is a wonderful place. This is a creation. It's a gift from the Lord. He gave it to us. And creation care should be a part of our care, our theology, Because that's one of the places that God shouts his glory. He created all this to bring himself glory so that he can continually proclaim his name. Um, Psalm 19, Psalm 24, many other places talk about that. So creation care is important to us. We talked about we are a blessing to the nations. Starting with Abraham, that promise begins to unfold throughout the scriptures that we are to be a blessing to the people around us. We are blessed so that we can bless others. We had just a glimpse of that today, of what this is all about talked about we are re- we are redeemed so that we can be redemptive with others we can live redemptive lives remember we talked about being redeemed is um, something that's very personal <coughs> it reflects a god who cares about us because redemption in the old testament is what happens when a family member comes and gets us out of trouble so if i've done something really stupid and i've gotten into financial debt over my head a family member comes along and says let me pay off your debt for you that's the core Example and meaning of what redemption is. And so God has redeemed us, got us out of trouble, given us our freedom so we can turn right around and live that life of redemption with others. And then we talked about we are representing God to the world. We are representatives of God. So you may finally figured out that this series is slowly focusing us down. So we represent God by our very lives and things that we do. And I said that Sunday, if I could change one thing about your mind and your opinion... That is when you get up in the morning that you think, if I do my job well today, I'm bringing honor and glory to the Lord. It doesn't matter how menial it may feel to you, it is significant because the Spirit uses you as a light to reflect God's glory. We represent God to the world. Last week we talked about witnesses. We are witnesses. We looked in Deuteronomy 4. Where God says, I'm going to call out the deaf and the blind, the Israelites, and you will be my witnesses. That should give us hope that he uses even us. That's what he does. He uses us. We witness to not only the historical Jesus, but we witness to the power of God in our own lives. We witness to this Jesus who we say we serve because of what he has done. We worship the risen Lord Savior. And we should not be ashamed to witness, to, be, to provide testimony that he is alive and well. Every one of you has experienced that grace at some point in your life, and we should testify about that. Today, we're going to look at what it means to proclaim the gospel of Christ. We are proclaimers of the gospel of Christ. So we're moving from behavior to the spoken proclamation. And what does that mean? Well, at its core, the word gospel means good news. In fact, every time you see the word gospel in your Bible, just think good news. But good news about what? What are we talking about? Good news. Hopefully by now you're starting to get um, a picture of that. The idea that there is a gospel, that there is a good news, assumes that something is wrong. We wouldn't need good news. It assumes that there's bad news. Something is terribly wrong. There's a problem that needs to be solved you've all begun to taste that solution when you turn to Christ. Because of the fall, there is a perpetual state of hostility between us and God. This is all pretty familiar to you. The effects of sin are disastrous. There's no way we can overstate how tragic the fall was. We're estranged from God. We're trapped in darkness. We're defiled by moral impurity. We are enslaved to sin and we're dead to sin. We could go on and on and on talking about what it means to be completely broken and depraved, living in darkness. But yet that's the case. That's the context in which the gospel comes. But when the first century uh, world, the first century believers, when they began to reflect on Jesus and what does all this mean? um, You have to understand there was a bigger context for this idea of gospel. The word gospel was not unusual to them. It was a very common word. It just means good news. I'm going to read to you something about what they would have grasped. Around the time of the birth of Jesus, during the reign of Emperor Augustus, he was one of the Caesars, the following message was inscribed in stone in prominent places throughout the Roman province of Asia Minor. It gave reasons in support of an official change in the calendaring system. So this is inscribed in stone around Asia Minor, which is today present Turkey. So listen to what was inscribed in stone. Since the providence that has divinely ordered our existence has applied her energy and zeal and has brought to life the most perfect good in Augustus. Okay, right off the bat, you have a God, a providence who's very impersonal, who's going to make themselves personal in Caesar. So, since this providence has applied her energy and zeal and has brought to life the most perfect good in Augustus, whom she filled with virtues for the benefit of humankind, bestowing him, that's Caesar, upon us and our descendants as a savior, so Caesar is called a savior, he who put an end to war and will order peace, Caesar, who by his appearance exceeded the hopes who prophesied good news. That's the gospel. Prophesied good news. Not only outdoing benefactors of the past, those who do good, but also allowing no hope of greater benefactions in the future. It's as good as it gets. With Caesar, it doesn't get any better. God personified right in front of us. It will not get any better, and he's exceeded all the hopes of the past. And since the birthday of the God first brought to the world, that's Caesar, the good news residing in him, with good fortune and safety, the Greeks of Asia have decided that the new year in all the cities should begin on the 23rd of September, the birthday of Augustus, this God. They were not unfamiliar with the gospel. They were just unfamiliar with the gospel of God. They had been taught this. The good news of Rome meant peace and security, but it meant peace and security for the privileged few. That's what it meant. The, this perpetual pursuit of peace came at a very high expense. It came at the expense of the conquered, the enslaved, the oppressed, the overtaxed, the shamed, and the crucified. Most of the empire. It represented peace through conquest. It meant security through oppression. That's what it meant. It was for the glory of Rome and Rome's Lord and Savior, Caesar. Hence the law where every Roman citizen had to proclaim Caesar is Lord. We believe Caesar is God. Imagine in this dark world, Along comes a Christian and said, no, Jesus is Lord. Well, what do you mean? Let me tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, in contrast, the Hebrew scriptures, what we think of as the Old Testament, prophesied a very different gospel. If you want to follow along, I'm going to read from Isaiah 52. You notice we've consistently gone back to Isaiah In order to lay the foundation for the gospel message all through this story in the New Testament, it's because Isaiah did a fantastic job. This is in Isaiah 52. This is in the section where the Lord is beginning to unfold this dream, this vision of this coming gospel and how wonderful it is. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. You know this from the New Testament, but I want you to hear it in the Old Testament. How beautiful in the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. The image is, you're in a walled city, and uh, you'll see the rest of the image in a minute, and the sentries are on this wall, and they see a messenger come running because the king and the army has gone out to fight. What's the news? What's the news? How wonderful it is, when this messenger brings good news. The basic storyline is captured of the gospel right here. It's in 52.7. How beautiful in the mountains are the feet who bring good news. What is this good news? The good news is they proclaim peace. It is peace. You have tasted that peace in your life. I know it's elusive. I know it comes and goes. But it, it slips into your relationships and slips back out, doesn't it? We capture just a glimpse of peace. We'll come back to these in a minute. Who bring good tidings. It's good. What the Lord has done is good. The Lord did not forget us. He remembered us. He remembered his covenant and he came back for us. And the third one is who proclaim salvation. We're saved. We are rescued from this horrible, broken place that we find ourselves. That's the heart and soul of the gospel. But the true gospel Expose the gospel of Caesar. So when Paul comes and starts talking about Jesus as Lord, and let me tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ and Peter and the rest of them, they began to spread out and tell this wonderful story. They began to expose this fraudulent gospel of Caesar. The peace that you see in the Roman Empire came at a cost that is contrary to the gospel. Because the very people that paid the price, that's who the gospel is concerned about the marginalized, the poor, the oppressed, those who can't take care of themselves. And because of that, it becomes, it's real to us that the true gospel exposes all of the false gospels in the world. Any gospel that does not point to the one true living God and His Son, Jesus, is fraudulent. Everyone. So what is it? Well, let's look in a little more detail. Verse 7, the one we just read, God reigns. His reign, bring, his reign brings uh, peace or shalom. It's the end of violence and corruption. Is it here yet? No, it's not. Is it on its way? Yes, it is. Is it coming? You bet. If we didn't believe that, we are of all people most to be pitied. Yes, it brings shalom. And you have tasted it in some of your relationships, however brief it is. But secondly, his reign is good. God will restore his creation. The moment Jesus rose from the dead, the new creation, the restoration of creation to the new creation began. And that's proof that we are now part of it. Do I have my new body yet? No, I can't wait. Getting kind of tired of this one. You know, enough surgeries now. I'm ready for a new one. And some of you know what I mean. It's coming. It's coming. God is good. But the third part is that he brings salvation. This is the ending of everything that holds us in slavery, starting with sin, and everything that sin brings that puts us in bondage. He's freeing us. He brings salvation. But then look what he says in verse 8. Listen, you watch, your watchmen, lift up their voices. Here's that image I told you about of the watchmen looking over the walls. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. So the second thing, if the first thing is that God is reigning, the second thing is that God is going to return. He's coming home. This imagery is on the broken down walls of Jerusalem because the, the people have already been deported now and Jerusalem's destroyed. So he's given this imagery of these imaginary centuries standing on the walls of Jerusalem. The Lord is on his way home. Just like the messenger says, they won. Our army won. The king is returning. The Lord is on his way home. He's coming back to his city. That's what Zion and Jerusalem refer to, his people. That's an image of us. He's coming back to his people. This is the core meaning of Palm Sunday. Jesus returns home. By the way, let me pause and do a little commercial. You have these in your uh, bulletins, right? All right. This is about the season of Lent. Just like we created the season of Advent and we worship together as a church, we're going to create the season of Lent. And here's what we're going to focus on for Lent. Seven times we're going to be together, starting with Ash Wednesday, and we're going to focus on the seven last words of Jesus. You know those words. It is finished. Into into your hands I commit my spirit. Uh, Mother, behold your son. I am thirsty. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All those famous words, they all occur in Jesus' last hour, what he calls my hour and they all represent something significant. So we're going to spend seven times together focusing on Jesus' last hour on the cross so that when we get to Easter, what happens? woo He is risen, right? He is risen. Amen. That's what we're going to do for Lent. So I had to throw in a little commercial there. Okay, then verses 9 and 10. God redeems. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord, all caps, Lord, this one true God, has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. He brings comfort to his people. He has redeemed his people. Now we're back to the idea of redemption. He cares about us. He is bailing us out of this problem. He is solving the issue that we've created. It's very personal language. God has come back to redeem us. The good news is that God will act and accomplish redemption for his people. But look what it says, for all the nations. Verse 10, the Lord will ba- lay bare his holy arm. I picture, I picture the, some of the pictures to see of these muscle guys, you know, right? I don't know what it's like for God to bear his arm, but it's got to be tremendously horrible and terrible, fearful, exciting. God will do lots of things. So he will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. God cares about this entire creation, every person, every nation, every people group. Every language. Revelation. Okay, turn with me over to Mark. Second gospel. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of what? The beginning of what? The gospel? Now replace that with good news. The beginning of The good news, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus, the Christ. It's all the same. The beginning of the good news about Jesus. The gospel is ultimately realized in Jesus. We've been saying that every Sunday, haven't we? One of Jesus' earliest acts was to stand in the temple and quote from Isaiah. Look with me in Luke chapter (coughs) 4. Stands up in the synagogue. I love it, Luke chapter four, verse sixteen. He's quoting from Isaiah sixty one. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read in the scroll of the prophet who? Isaiah. So, I are spending so much time in Isaiah was handed to him, unrolling the scroll. Now, it's not like us where we have, you know, let's turn to Isaiah 61. Let me find it here. I, let me look in the table of contents if I can't remember where it is. No, no. He's got this scroll of Isaiah. He begins to unroll it, and he searches along, and he finds just the place. There's no verse numbers. There's no chapters. That came much later. That wasn't there when Jesus did it. So he unrolls Hebrew. The Hebrew uh, could have been the Greek version of Isaiah, and he looks around until he finds Isaiah 61, and here's what he says. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me, by the way, good news, gospel, to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. I can't help believe... His eyes were twinkling, and he might have had a smirk on his face. Where are we going with this? So the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them, Today, today, right now, this very moment, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He was proclaiming that God is now reigning in himself. Because this picture in Isaiah is a picture of the one true living God coming to rescue his people. That's the heart of the gospel. That's what Jesus did on the cross. So he's proclaiming that God is now reigning in himself. That's why we believe that Jesus is God. He has come to fulfill the gospel of Isaiah. Similarly, in Matthew chapter 11, John the Baptist is not quite sure if Jesus is the Messiah or not, because he's not doing the things he expected. So he wants to know, so he asks the question in John chapter 11, verse 3. Are you the one, he sent his disciples to ask, are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? So Jesus answers with language out of Isaiah 35. Back to Isaiah. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, And then he adds this phrase out of Isaiah 61. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor, the gospel. He adds it. The reign of God is embodied in Christ. He is the fulfillment of this gospel in Isaiah. The reign of God, in short, this gospel is found among those who understand their mission. We've been talking for all these weeks about what is our mission. We've got it on the glass And we're really trying to figure out how to make it part of our church ethos, our culture. So the reign of God is found among those who understand their mission to do the three things in Isaiah, to make peace, to do good, and to proclaim God's salvation. That's what our job is. Make peace, do good, and proclaim God's salvation. The gospel is the good news about God. He did not forget us. He remembered his promise what we call covenant. He remembered it. He came back for us. You've heard that language now for a long time. It is good news for which the world, the entire world is waiting. If you look in Matthew 24, in, in between the sections where he's talking about what's going to happen in the end days and all these parables of the kingdom, he just says something really wonderful. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world. Matthew 24, 14. To the whole world as a testimony to all the nations then the end will come. We have a responsibility. We have a mission. So what does it mean for us? Well, I have some thoughts for you. Number 1, the good news cannot and should not be concealed. It shouldn't be. The very nature of gospel in Isaiah 52 was the messenger came running with his good news and they're shouting, he's coming back, we won. Jesus said it is finished. It should not be concealed. It simply has to be proclaimed. It has to be announced. Paul in Philippians 2 uses the language, the work of the gospel. This is the task of making this incredible good news known by all means possible and whatever it costs. Whatever it costs. That's what our responsibility is. There is a spoken element to the gospel. The story we find ourselves in needs to be told in order for it to be understood. So what is this gospel? It is a statement about the historical Jesus. Yes, we believe in Jesus. But it's also a statement about the reality of the new humanity in Christ. We belong to something entirely brand new, and we want our friends to belong to it as well. This new humanity. He broke down the barrier to dividing wall. We saw that in Ephesians. It's a statement about that. But it's also a statement that must be heard as well as seen. So up until now, we've talked about how important your life is for proclaiming the glory of the Lord and reflecting that out. But there's a spoken element to it as well. It has to be heard. Your life is not enough to get them to the saving knowledge of Jesus. It's enough for them to begin asking the right questions. There has to be a spoken element. It's the story of redemption for both the person and the entire creation, all of creation. It's the gospel of God. It's the good news. God did not forget us. Jesus Christ came for us. He died on the cross, brought atonement, forgiveness of sins. He brought all those things. We believe it as a church. It's in our doctrinal statement. We talk about it. Now we need to proclaim it. I have a theology that says that um, when a person begins to look for opportunities to share their faith, God takes advantage of that in a very good way. He begins to route people to you. So when I sat down to get my hair cut for the first time in Summit County when I moved up here, you've heard me tell the story. I asked the lady, "Do you go to church?" "No, I don't believe in that stuff." "Oh, so do you go to church?" "Well, I just told you I don't believe in that stuff." "Well, there's a lot of people who don't believe it, still so go to church." <laughs> we started this conversation, and now it's nine months into it. Does a good job, doesn't she? By the way, pretty good looking, huh? <laughs> and we're moving further and further into deeper things of life. I know a lot of details about her life. When I come across an unbeliever someone who's lost, we use all this language, it just means someone who hasn't met Jesus yet. When I come across someone who hasn't met Jesus yet, I know two things are true. Number one, God loves him infinitely and more passionately than I ever will. And number two, he has been involved in their life a lot longer than I have. I believe it. Don't be ashamed to tell people that you believe in Jesus. They don't know Jesus we are increasingly moving to where Jonathan said France is. We're a long ways from there, but we're moving in that direction. I now regularly run into people that have never even heard about Jesus. Don't be afraid to tell people that you believe in Jesus. Someone risked courage to tell you. Am I right? Parents, friends, depends on when you came to know the Lord. Someone risked courage to tell you, Be courageous. Try it. I have to admit, in all the years I've shared Christ, I can't really remember a time when somebody's laughed at me or gotten mad at me. They may have said they're not interested. You'll be rejected. And you might, so what? Someone risks courage to tell you about Jesus. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward. We're going to take an offering. <clears throat> This offering is very much related to this because Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9 that when you decide to give to the Lord, that that's an expression of the gospel. I would just like to say, thank you. Thank you for giving. I say it every Sunday. I'll never tire of saying it. I love you guys. You guys are very generous. Your money, what we're going to do with these bags here, we're going to collect money for our church. You know what we do with that money? I'll just give you one example. Last uh, summer, we did a VBS with 230 kids. So I asked Annika, we were sitting out a couple weeks ago, And I said, Annika, how many unchurched families do those 230 kids represent? Because she collects information. She said about 80. About 80. That's just a small glimpse of what we do with this money. And then today is Benevolent Sunday. I know we said it was last Sunday. Mark and I said that, but you have to understand, we understand theology a lot better than we do calendars. Okay? (laughs) This is actually Benevolent Sunday. So over there is is a receptacle, another one over there, and there's two out back. What we do with this money, if God puts it on your heart, this is to be used by our benevolence committee for people in the community that are in trouble and need help. We care about this county, don't we? We care about the people here. This is our home. This is our backyard. We want them to come to know the one true living God through His Son, Jesus. So thank you for giving. Let me pray. God, thank you for this money that we're about to collect, the offering we're about to receive. Lord, uh, we would like to bless you with it by using it well to bring honor to your name. And Father, I would like to ask that you would bless all these people here because they're so generous. Thanks for loving them, loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. As you go out this week, just have confidence that the Lord wants to use you, okay? Just have confidence. It's okay. Nothing to be frightened of. In fact, look around. Look at the, some of the empty chairs. Um, Look at an empty chair around you and think of just a good friend or somebody you know that maybe they don't know Christ and, and just think about that chair has their name on it. And, uh, and then just ask the Lord to make it possible for you to share your faith with somebody this week, to proclaim the good news that God has come back. He didn't forget us. He remembered us and he saved us. So uh, have a great week. Go in peace. You're dismissed.